Bully and the Chocolate Factory, a Good Omens multivoice podfic, written by Entangled Now. Chapter 8 It takes Crowley a second to orient himself, to realize that they are now a fair distance back from the racetrack. They are outside the large building that had revealed very little of its contents as they sped by. But now he's standing by the open door, the interior lit by the sun behind them. Crowley has to make an almost involuntary noise of approval at what Zonka has hidden inside. He does a quick head count and finds thirty-five classic cars lined up in four rows. He'd wager that none of them are younger than half a century. He spots the slippery red shine of a 60s classic next to the spare but striking shapes from the 1930s, then the familiar curves of the 50s models from every spy show he'd seen as a kid. There's a few at the very back old enough to be raised solid wheels, and one even looks like it could have doubled as a carriage if you found a few horses and some tracks. He reaches out for the closest, fingers just hovering above the deep forest green of its paintwork, only to pull his hand back and look at Zonka. Oh, please, feel free to touch. You can't hurt any of them in here. Do they actually exist? Crowley asks, a little at awe at the sight of them altogether. I mean, do you own these for real? Or are they just for this place? It seems like a silly question, because if you could have all of these cars without actually buying them, if they could feel exactly like they did in the real world, to touch, to drive, to take apart if that was your thing, why would you? Why would you bother shelling out the money for them in real life? though he supposes some people would say to have them, or, if you were the sort of person who couldn't be happy if other people were, so no one else could. But Songa surprises him. Yes, this is a recreation of my collection as it exists outside. I even drive them sometimes. I thought perhaps I'd be a little more reckless with them in here but it turns out I can't quite shake the need to be careful with them. Many of them have such a fascinating history, or special memories of their own. He reaches out himself and lays his hand on polished black metal, gives the car a little pat like he's fond of it. It's a pretty amazing collection. The real ones are a bit out of my price range, but they used to put mini ones in cereal boxes when I was a kid. I had a whole collection. Used to line them up on the window sill and have races. Yeah, I can definitely see why you'd want the real thing. He's not sure what happened to the toys in cereal boxes. You don't see them anymore. Sonka follows him as he takes his curiosity deeper touches cars that you'd normally only see on TV, or at special at trade shows and auctions. But he'd wager that Zonka's are in much better condition. 
Some of them look like they could have come out of production yesterday. The track is occasionally a temptation, I'll admit, but I've never raced them against each other. They're all so different. It didn't seem fair. I think the Eriks are a little afraid to come in here, though I've told them a run does the cars good. In the real world, too, I mean. They appreciate it. It's what they were made for, after all. It can't be much fun sitting around as a display piece. I don't want to be someone that has them just for show. I like to admire the beautiful things humans have built, but I also like to see them work. To do what they were made for. Humans? Crowley says, with a tilt of head and a lift of eyebrow. Since he can't pretend that isn't a spot he's been prodding at all day, even if the rational part of his brain keeps telling him not to be so ridiculous. People. Sonka corrects, though the man is still smiling, which gives nothing at all away. But no, it wouldn't be fair to race some of them, the ones that weren't designed for speed or that were built before certain advances were made in materials and design. I've never been the sort who wanted to change the original parts to make them go faster. No, I'll get that. Crowley finds himself agreeing with that decision, because if you start changing things, it's not long before it isn't the same car anymore. Not really. It feels a bit like cheating, doesn't it? There's something about having the whole package, same as it came off the factory floor in... He touches the red curving roof of a Bentley. 1939. Crowley moves across the row, fingertips sliding on the polished metal of something built for speed before he was even born. 1954. He heads back a little way his whole hand smoothing the cold, glassy bonnet of another. 1963. Sonka tells him, still smiling, and there's something playful in that Crowley finds incredibly appealing. <laughs> do you know all of them? Hey, who am I kidding? Of course you do. He probably bought some, or all, of them new if the photos in the entrance were to be believed. I'm impressed. Crowley slides round into the second row, only to stop that when he's left facing something he might consider, if he was the type, the car of his dreams. A grey and black streak of a thing with silver accents, personality like a snake in a three-pea suit, a thought which comes from nowhere and makes him laugh. He says nothing for a moment as he reaches out and lets his hand touch the bodywork, finds a chill to the touch, smooth and unexpectedly beautiful. 1933 Zonka's voice is soft, as if he can feel Crowley's appreciation. They were all one of a kind, then. This one was discovered in the bowels of a ship. No documentation, no indication that it was ever owned at all. When it came up for auction, I couldn't resist. It's beautiful. 
Crony says through a dry throat. It's an understatement, but I think I've fallen in love. Feels a bit much. It's also unlocked, if you'd like. Crowley looks at him to check if he's joking with him. If I'd like. When Zonka simply smiles, he can't stop himself from reaching for the handle, opening the door backwards, curious feeling that, and sliding inside. He's surprised when Zonka joins him, removing his ridiculous top hat and sinking into the other seat. <laughs> not a lot of legroom. A problem I have discovered is not limited to this model. Sanka has his own pulled together, leaning to one side. Not the first time he sat in here, then. <laughs> Those people in the past with their tiny legs, eh? Oh, I'm sure they managed. Crony runs his hand over the wheel, the dashboard, the accents that look almost brand new. He's never been in anything like this before. There's something about it that leaves him feeling faintly adrift in time, and just a little mysterious. He wonders if that's why Zonka likes it so much. He can't help imagining what it would feel like if the car was his. It's weird to think, isn't it? Someone driving this car almost a hundred years ago? I'm not sure that anyone ever did, to be honest. Well, not this one, anyway, since it doesn't really exist. Crony feels like that's a fair point. But Zonka pulls a face, as if he wants to protest again. Come on, Azarafel. You're the one that put them all in here. Zonka blinks surprise at him as if for a moment he'd forgotten that he told Crowley his name. Or maybe he'd forgotten that it was his name at all. But something in his expression still looks dazed and warm at the sound of it. Crowley can't help letting his hand slide off the wheel to fall between them, laying across Zonka's bare wrist. The touch is innocent enough, but the other man sways towards him as if cold. Zerfell, he says again, just to watch the way it makes Zonka shift on the seat and rise into him. Crowley stays still for the slide of hand against his face, the trail of a thump across his mouth and the press of Zonka's lips to the same spot. It's not an impulsive, angry thing this time, but a question, and Crowley hopes the way he presses back is answer enough. Zonka makes a sound like he's done something he shouldn't, and Crowley likes that best of all. He's very good at being something people shouldn't. The front of the car is small and cramped, but that just makes it feel more like a secret. Crowley pushes his fingers into the back of Zonka's hair to draw him closer, sliding them through his wild curls 
and sending something that has to be old-fashioned cologne into the air inside the car. Zonka smells nicer than he has any business doing. But then it's not just kissing. It's a tuck on that bounce of a bow tie and hands up under his long jacket. As if the quiet darkness has left them both a little reckless. A slow, twisting movement and a shift of his leg leaves Crowley half-straddling Zonka, head and shoulders pressed up against the roof as he kisses down and the other man kisses up. I shouldn't be doing this, Zonka says roughly, while stroking warm fingers up and down Crowley's neck like he's a treasure he wants to keep. No, probably not. Do it anyway. Crowley draws him back, kisses him again. Because stopping to think too much about what they're doing feels like a bad idea. If this is a mistake, Crowley can deal with it later. He's currently far too distracted by how sweet and curious the curl of Sonka's tongue is. After all, none of this is real, is it? Which means there's a possibility this isn't even Zonka at all, just some sort of avatar of himself he leaves in here to show people around. Though, in Crowley's defense, if it's an avatar, then it made the moves on him first. If you're going to give your NPC enough of a personality to flirt over your classic car collection, then you deserve what you get. Would it be easier if Zonka wasn't real? His brain seems to know better, but maybe it's a nice fantasy. A dash of freedom, just a hint of bad behavior, nothing at all to regret which includes this beautiful, ridiculous man full of candy and secrets that against all sense Crowley wants to press back into the seats and kiss until he's gasping. Let him try and sing with his mouth occupied. The thought has him laughing quietly into Zonka's mouth, but the man doesn't ask what's so funny. He just breathes amusement and kisses him harder. Crowley's impossibly tight jeans have somehow come undone at the button, and Zonga's are some sort of turn-of-the-century nonsense with a catch and a button inside that Crowley has to briefly struggle with. But his complaint turns into the edge of a bite. He sucks a bruise into Zonga's bare neck, which is soft and warm, his pulse fluttering there. So, if he's an avatar, then he's a very good one. The mark isn't go to stay either way, which is a shame. I can't believe I'm doing this. Zonka stops kissing him, one hand sliding under Crowley's shirt and across his bare back. He's wearing a little frown on his kiss-bruised mouth, and Crowley feels guilty about that, too. Would you like to stop? Crowley tucks on his half-undone shirt. 
No, no. Just, there's about a dozen Arics watching the kids, right? Seventeen. And this is virtual reality. Nothing permanent happens here? I think that depends on how you define permanent. Zonka kisses the edge of her straw, softer than Crowley deserves. But no, the only things which are real are the things you bring with you. The words trail off when Crowley drags his old-fashioned shirt out of his trousers and then slips a hand inside. He finds underwear that was probably designed a century ago and the beginning of a generous erection that makes his fingers push deeper and curl around it. It's a hot thing that jumps in his palm, leaving the man, who should probably be running a factory, moaning and rocking up into him. Zonka's eyes fall shut and his mouth falls open, and that's a lovely view when Crowley tucks on his hair. His back hits the roof again as he wriggles out of his own jeans. There's really nowhere for their legs to go, but once they've pushed enough clothes down or off, it doesn't seem to matter. Crowley ends up with a leg over the steering wheel and a knee on the dashboard. One of Zonka's hands is strong and tight on his inner thigh. The other curled around his stick in a way that feels more thrilled to touch him than anything else. Crowley resists the urge to ask him if he knows what he's doing. <sighs> Do we need imaginary condoms in this fantasy world, then? Since technically we won't have even touched. Oh, please don't say that. I'm not sure I'd be able to forget a single moment of my hands on you. I can't imagine a world where this wouldn't count as having known you. Crowley huffs a laugh at the hint of Victorian subtlety about the phrase. <laughs> so, no condoms? If it makes you feel better, of course. You might have to teach me how to use them, though. I've not had the pleasure. Crowley leans back far enough to bump the windshield, so he can look at him properly. Since they were invented. Or ever. Songa makes a complicated noise that seems to want to answer that question at literally any other time. Crowley takes pity on him. Fine, fine. Casual sex it is. Can I still tell you how lovely you are? Zonka asks, thumbs stroking and squeezing where they grip his bare legs. Crowley's tempted to tell him no, both as a joke and because he's always fond compliments during sex make him a little squirmy. But Zonka seems to have a weird relationship with restraint. He clearly doesn't approve of it. Yeah, sure. Fine. Casual sex with compliments. Go for it. That one makes Zonka laugh. But compliments are deferred for a moment for kissing and a bit of hasty prep, made slightly more awkward by the vexing interior dimensions of a classic car. 
It's probably irresponsible to fuck the man who's supposed to be giving them a tour, especially while your 11-year-old nephew is only under the supervision of 70 spooky robots, or possibly clones. Crowley still hasn't made up his mind which they are. But it's been a day, and a little bit of stress relief sounds perfect. It's technically virtual reality, so no one's in danger. And this isn't really happening at all. Poor decisions with no consequences. When is he ever going to get another chance at that? Sonka kisses like he wants to do nothing else. Half sweetness and half hungry insistence. A combination that makes Crowley's stomach clench with arousal. His hands slide on Zonka's thighs, urging them open and then up. They are tight fit in here, but it's good. Christ, it's good. Zira Zonka makes noises like he's never been this close to another human being. Crowley tries to retain some common sense, but every part of him is oversensitive and eager and greedy, and they start moving against each other pretty much straight away. He's still half wearing his shirt and both socks, the rhythmic movement of a soft middle and solid thighs stealing half his control from the beginning. The impatient, secret thrill of it leaves them both a little rough with each other, and Crowley knows that they are going to be eggs tomorrow, until he realizes that there won't. This isn't real. None of it is really happening. He laughs and lets himself feel it all. It's been a while since Crowley had sex with anyone, casual or otherwise, and Zonka draws him in close with the sort of easy and unstoppable strength that can hold up impossibly heavy machinery. He doubts he could squirm his way out of Zonka's grip if he didn't want him to, which shouldn't make it hotter, but sort of does. At this very moment, Crowley doesn't care whether he's human or not. He tells him how good he is, tells him to make as much noise as he likes in this cramped space with him, tells him it's unfair how fantastic he looks, all spread out on red leather. Which is only the truth, the unmarked softness of him, all biteable curves, pale hair, and enthusiasm for everything Crowley gives or takes. The way his body bounces and jolts under Crowley's enthusiasm is more arousing than he has words for. He learns that the Bentley's horn works. Several times. They are going to make a mess all over the interior. But Crowley can't remember the last thing that felt this good. The rhythmic motion swinging between gentle and hard as they make it work on the leather seats, one of Zonka's knees in his hand, 
the other pressed against the curve of the dashboard. Crony comes with a long, satisfied sound of bliss and very quickly finds that he's perfectly ready to go again. They switch positions, work out how to fit their desire in the small space with a combination of enthusiasm, ingenuity and reckless disregard for common sense. One moment Crowley is laughing into the leather, while Zonka makes delighted noises over the shape of his bony ass. The next he's three fingers deep in the plushness of the other man, one knee banging against the door as Zonka's mouth does obscene things to his cough. Ten minutes later he's trying to brace himself on the steering wheel, head knocking the roof while strong hands pull at his hips. Crowley has no idea how long it is before they slow, and then finally stop. Zonka's weight is sprawled in Crowley's lap, his beautiful strong thighs either side of him, damp cock under the warmth of Crowley's relaxed hand. He's only wearing one sock, pink with exertion, looking dazed and satisfied, but probably the most human Crowley has ever seen him. He wonders if anyone else has ever seen him like this, finds himself irrationally jealous of them if they had. He doesn't have any claim on the man, and it's silly to think he even could. Crowley stretches up to kiss the damp stretch of Zonka's throat, which gets him an arm around his neck and a shiver. It takes him a second to realize the man is panting out a series of complimentary words and phrases that he's fairly sure went out of fashion more than a hundred years ago. He can't help but laugh. I didn't intend to become so distracted. You... Irresistible, insatiable fiend. Hmm. He has a bare handful of wonderfully plump ass, and he can't bring himself to regret it. Besides, no one sang any musical numbers. It was amazing. It really was amazing. Probably better than Crowley deserved considering what a prick he was when I first met. Though I really must get back to my responsibilities. Zonka says that like he has every intention of moving, but then just doesn't. He has the stupidest smile on his face, and Crowley loves it just a little bit. Uh-huh. He agrees again because sex and orphans have claimed him, too. Zonka looks no less ridiculous now Crowley has done obscene things to him in a classic Bentley, but it's less annoying somehow. He thinks he might be getting attached, and that's probably a terrible idea, since nothing has changed, not really. He lifts his hand and pulls his fingers through a collection of pale curls, 
watch Asanka's head tip into the movement with a quiet, sighing sound of pleasure. We should rejoin the tour, he says, and Crowley knows he doesn't imagine the regretful edge to his voice. As if maybe Zonka has gotten attached, too. People don't get attached to Crowley very often. They start attempting to dress in the car before realizing it's impossible and slithering out again. And Crowley is very glad that this isn't the real world because he's fairly sure there's at least one orgasm painted across ninety-year-old leather seats. He does briefly feel silly about being a naked, forty-three-year-old man trying to put on a pair of very tight trousers. A challenge which probably ruins any cool and collected sexy mystery he has left. The fact that he's doing it while in the middle of an aircraft hangar-sized building full of cars that probably cost more individually than every car he's ever had in his entire life combined definitely puts the lid on it. Zonka's hair is doing something impossible as he buttons his softly furred chest back into his shirt winding the bow tie effortlessly around his neck and giving it a brief appreciative bounce, which Crowley is strangely jealous of. That was very nice indeed. Should I say thank you? Crowley wins us, because that's not really the expected interaction after you've just had sex at least three times in a car. Something he still thinks is impossible. He has no idea how they did it. Virtual reality is apparently very kind to both his flexibility and his refractory period. Best not, he offers, though gently, as fun as this was, he refuses to get attached to the weirdness that is Sanka. For his own sanity. There's still a 50-50 chance he's not even human. Crowley doesn't care what his rational brain says. He's seen the man do at least three impossible things already. Oh. Crowley refuses to watch Sonka make that face as he shoves his sleeves back into his coat and his boots on his feet. The pleasant edge of orgasm is swearing off, but he doesn't like leaving it like this. Look, Aziraphale, I think we just come from very different places, and we don't have anything in common. We do, Sonka says, and it comes out soft and a little chiding. Crowley strangles out a protest, but it doesn't do any good. If anything, this had made it worse, made the other man feel touchable in a way he hadn't been before. He wants to lean in and grab for Zonka's ludicrous bow tie, track him in by it and kiss him again. Fuck it, once more, once more won't kill anyone. 
Zonka gives a pleased hum on his mouth, his fingers gently curling around Crowley's own tie. What was supposed to be a quick press of mouth turns into something entirely different, something lingering and sweet, less casual than Crowley expected or intended. Until he registers that someone is clearing their throat and hastily pulls away, licking his lips self-consciously when he spots an Eric by the doors. <coughs> Mr. Zonka, there's something wrong with Pepper. Crowley curses himself during the short journey back to the racetrack. He shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have gotten distracted and disappeared with Zira Zonka of all people. He just assumed because they weren't in the real world, and there were at least a dozen Eric clones in the vicinity, that the kids were perfectly safe. He should have known something would happen. There's never not been a fallout from every stupid, selfish moment in his entire life. The adults that are left are standing in a semicircle around Pepper, who's sitting cross-legged on the floor in one of the pit garages at the side, giving the sort of wrecked, frightened sobs that Crowley has never heard before. It's not immediately obvious what had happened, and when he asks Mark, the other man just shakes his head and says he doesn't know. Adam spots him and hurries in his direction, the racing jacket he was so pleased to put on dangling from one shoulder. He looks afraid, but not entirely the sort that's worried for someone else. There's also an edge of messy guilt to it. Two Eric's move aside, so Zonka can slip into the semicircle, one of them leaning in to whisper something in his ear that Crowley doesn't catch. But judging by Zonka's expression, this is serious. He reaches up and takes his top head off, setting it down on the ground beside him before crouching down next to Papa. Crowley doesn't say anything for a minute when Adam bumps against his side, looking for all the world like a kid that wants to be hugged but is reluctant to ask. Crowley settles a hand on his shoulder and squeezes. What did you do? What happened? Crowley asks him instead. Adam mumbled something too low to catch. Adam? It's not a demand, just a gentle nudge for the truth. I'm the one who got it for her, he says finally, the words grating out of him like a confession. But that doesn't help Crowley. Got what? She wanted it so badly. I didn't think it would hurt her, or I wouldn't have. I really wouldn't have. What did you get for her? Crowley pushes, because he really needs information here. The licorice whip. 
She just wanted to be smart, really smart. She's going to be important. She wants to save the environment. Crowley's got clenches. Adam, that stuff wasn't ready yet. It was experimental. Adam goes quiet, mouth crunching in misery. Crowley squeezes his shoulder again. They end up shuffling forward into the circle with the others, so the quiet muttering starts to form into actual words. The effects are temporary, don't worry. This trial version was far too strong for public consumption. I was hoping for a small boost to memorization and creativity, increased pattern recognition, a few leaps of emotional intelligence, and a whiff of mathematical brilliance. How is that even legal? Mark demands. These are children's brains we're talking about here. Zonka ignores him. Instead, it tends to light up all the connections at once. All of them? Elaine is already crouched down, her hands on Pepper's shoulders. That's the sort of thing that gives people seizures. Is my daughter going to have a seizure, Zonka? Zonka shakes his head. No, no, it's impossible for anyone to come to any genuine harm in the factory. She frowns at him. What does that even mean? You don't consider this harm? Isn't this supposed to be a virtual reality? You said nothing could hurt us in here. Yes, well, I didn't expect her to bring in my own... one of my own confections. I try to plan for everything, but it's so hard to predict what people will do when you add them as variables. But that's what the universe does. Peppa interrupts them both, the words hurried and awful. It predicts and predicts over and over for everything all the time. I can hear it. She presses her hands to the side of her head. But it doesn't always make sense. Sometimes impossible things happen anyway, and then you have to start putting everything together all over again. Peppa draws her knees up, curls into them. There's too much. Pepper, honey, it's all right. We're going to make it stop. You can't make it stop. It's always going to be there. I just won't be able to hear it anymore. There's so much I don't want to know. Geometry doesn't even exist. It can't. Not when space bends in all directions at once. It doesn't stay where it's put, and after four dimensions, everything stops making sense unless you look at it all at once. Other universes are leaking in all the time. They vibrate at a different frequency, but if you make yourself vibrate the same way, you could see them, or even go there. Pepper stops and cries some more, while Elaine desperately tries to comfort her. I don't want to go there. I don't ever want to go there. You won't have to, Pepper, I promise. When it wears off, this will all seem like a very bad dream. Pepper shakes her head like she doesn't believe him. I know you can't lie. You're not allowed. But you know I'm telling the truth. I'll forget how I knew or what it felt like, but I still know things that I shouldn't. Like where the other moon went. I did the calculations and they didn't make sense, so I did more and then more, and I know where it went and I know why. I know it's coming back one day, and I know how my bones work, and it's not how everyone thinks. Pepper dissolves into desperate sobs. And Eric appears and crouches slowly, handing Zonka a muck of something purple and steaming. Thank you, Eric.
Pepper, you should drink this. Zonka's voice is calm and reassuring. Drink it and you won't remember any of it, I promise. I'm not so sure you should drink anything he gives you. Elaine says flatly, reaching out to hold one hand over the mug. She can either drink it now or when you bring her back here a month from now because she won't stop screaming herself awake. Elaine looks briefly furious, but she slowly removes her hand, takes the mug from him and offers it to her daughter. This is your fault. She stole an experimental candy and ate it. There was still years' worth of testing to be done. She's incredibly lucky she ate it in the factory and didn't take it home. That's why she wanted to eat it in here. Adam offers, surprising Crowley. She knew it might be dangerous, so she wanted to try it in virtual reality, so if something went wrong, she could just leave. How did you know it would work in here at all? Brian's been eating candy from the pick-and-mix outside. One of the gobstoppers cracked his tooth. Pepper thought it meant Zonka's candy would be real in here. Adam looks around at the assembled adults, a small boy in a shiny racing jacket, facing the consequences of his actions. I'm sorry, I didn't know it would hurt her. I took it from a tray that an Eric was carrying while Pepper asked him questions. He looks so guilty about it that Crowley can't bring himself to be too angry with him. God, this whole factory must have felt like one adventure after another, even taking into account Wensleydale's fall and Warlock's brief trampling by an angry sponge unicorn. And Zonka's insistence that they are all but invincible in here didn't help. Physical injuries aren't the only things that can mess you up. Crowley knows that better than most. He's not sure he'd want to live with the memories of suddenly knowing a bunch of stuff he shouldn't. No working up to it slowly, just a ton of horrible knowledge dumped into your brain. Whatever Pepper is seeing inside her head... It doesn't look any fun at all. Crowley's given up on pretending that everything here isn't very real, and exactly what it looks like. He's not exactly sure what Zonka is, or whether he's an alien, a capricious god, some faith thing banished from a faraway land, but he's 99% sure at this point that the man's not human, which makes the fact that he fucked him a little weird. Pepper is now lying in the curve of her mother's arm, muttering about sequential loops, while Elaine makes soothing noises, one hand wrapped round the back of her head. She really will be absolutely fine when she wakes up. She won't remember anything after she ate the candy, and she'll likely feel very embarrassed about the whole thing. You better hope so. Elaine says flatly. She gathers up her daughter and stands, with Pepper's face tucked into her neck. You can do your song and dance, but I'm not interested in staying to watch it. Eric, show us how to get out of here. 
and then where we can wait until dinner, please. The Eric, now holding the empty mug, nods and waves towards a small side door, which Elaine carries Pepper through without looking back. Must we do the song and dance? Mark asks with a frown. I mean, technically they've gone already and the kids are both a bit shaken. Crowley can feel the Eric's hovering at the edges, the track around them oddly quiet. It really does make them feel better. They have to write it all down at the end of the day, and letting them gather their thoughts to a tune makes it easier for them to remember. Songa looks at the Eric beside him. He's still gripping the racing jacket Pepper had left behind. He looks sad. Adam steps forward and gestures at it. Can I take it to her? She'll be upset if she loses it. She thought it was really cool. Sure, that'd be nice. Thanks. The Eric hands it over, watches Adam carefully roll it up and add it to his backpack. Crowley wants to point out that it's not the real jacket, which Pepper should still be wearing in her VR booth. It makes perfect sense in his head, but he's suddenly afraid that the world no longer works the way he expects it to. This place might have broken him. I think we should let them sing, Adam says after a moment's thought. If it makes them feel better. They work really hard and it's not their fault it happened. They've been really good about showing us around. Ryan nods. Yeah, it's not their fault. They should be allowed to sing. The quiet from the Eric's is almost spooky, as if they are waiting to be given permission. Fine, let them sing. It's not like it takes them long, and then we can leave and get back to the real world. Hopefully, before Brian or Adam get carried off by a bloody licorice pterodactyl or something equally ridiculous. Mark reluctantly nods, but he draws Brian in close, possibly having the same thought as Crowley. The Eric's shuffle in with a sort of strangely relieved gratitude and rock themselves into a line, throwing their arms out so they can hold hands with the Eric's next to them. The music seems to come from the track speakers this time, though the explanation doesn't really help. The one place that has a rational explanation for the music, and it's not even real. The chorus line of identical Eric starts stepping back and forth as one. The few still settled around the garage, humming a little intro. Please don't touch the sweets and treats with our unique and subtle beat. Until they've left experimental, they can be quite temperamental. You might just find they'll expand your mind. You might just now discover that they'll open up another. Algebra, astronomy and mass and trigonometry, geometry and physics too. See a world in a grain of sand, but your brain's not built for that demand. For the truth and the treasure and the mystery and measure, you have to let it go.
Oh, the moon holds a secret, and the ocean's built to keep it, and the sky is only one of several. The world is full of more, it's been through it all before, it's had explorers and adorers from all spaces and all corners. Zonka knows that best, some might say. They stop to do a little quick step and flourish in Zonka's direction. Crowley watches the man's eyes fix on them as he raises a finger to his mouth. Secretive little shit that he is. Crowley refuses to feel anything like a flutter of affection for that. At least not after they've all watched an eleven-year-old child go quietly mad on the shiny floor. Please don't be so reckless now, this behavior we cannot allow. Don't be careless of the sweets that aren't quite done. Though we understand temptation's half the fun. Our tests are very vigorous, our safety measures rigorous. If it's dangerous, we delete it, we can't step it or release it. We care about our customers and friends. All our candy is marked safe, we can box and jar and jape, ship it out the door too far and wide. But the labs are out of limits, no free entry and no permits to anyone who isn't one of us. No sneaking our test taster, no half inching from our baker, please, please keep your naughty fingers to yourself. Or else you see the world in a clarity we're told That can make the bravest man feel mighty small Your brain's a ticking time bomb after all The song cuts out abruptly as two cars zoom past on the track Passing each other in mid-air as they go over clearly in ramps The Eric's in the front row drop down to one knee The Eric's behind posing over their shoulders Sonka gives them a little clap once they're done. Thank you, Eriks. Please take a break. Have some Battenberg. You've all done a marvellous job, as always. His voice is gentle but encouraging as they straighten up and then file out. What happens now? Mark asks. Sonka snaps his fingers in answer and Crowley finds himself blinking groggily at the far-too-close ceiling of a VR booth. To be continued in Chapter 9.